Chapter Nine of Thou Art the Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thou Art the Man by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Nine In the Pine Wood. Brandon Mountford had talked of leaving Ellerslie several times before his final resolution to fly from danger, but on each occasion Sir Joseph had pressed him to stay. "'You don't want to be in London, Mountford,' he said. "'You are not a man about town like Urquhart. London can get on without you, even though the season has begun. Urquhart tells me that he must be in town before the twentieth. You may as well stop till then. You two fellows are company for each other, and I like to see young people around my house. And on each occasion, Brandon had weakly yielded, believing that if sadness should be the bitter afterfruit of joy, the sadness would be for himself alone, and the girl he loved in secret would go on her way happy and heart-whole to gladden some luckier life than his but now it had been made clear to him by casual looks and tones and innocent girlish emotions that his love was returned and there was no choice for him as a man of honour he must go it was not a question of ways and means had there been no barrier but his poverty between the heiress and himself, he would have hazarded being thought a fortune-hunter, and would have risked a rough refusal from Sir Joseph. He would have at least pleaded his own cause, offered the devotion of an honourable man, and taken his chance with the father. But between him and the woman he loved, there stood a hideous spectre, the shadow that walketh at noonday, the terror of a disease whose lightest aspect would chill that tender womanly heart, and whose fiercer phases might bring disgust as well as fear to the mind which now associated him with only noble and gracious things. Horrible! thrice horrible that the woman he loved should ever look upon him in the clutch of those devils whose grip he had once felt rending and tearing him a year of cloudless wedded life could not obliterate one moment of that grisly horror when the face she loved would be convulsed and changed and the lips she had kissed would be disfigured with foam and blood. No. Love and marriage, the natural lot of other men, from the peer to the ploughman, were not for Brandon Mountford. Fate had given him good looks, a keen intelligence, a fine frame, but fate had laid upon him the burden of hereditary disease, and he must bear his burden with manly fortitude. He must not let an innocent and loving girl wither under the blight that lay upon him. Once during those happy days at Ellerslie, just when he was beginning to realize the fact that his love was returned, and was beginning to foreshadow the sorrow of parting, he was reminded of his misery by an attack of le petit mal. Sitting in the sunlit garden, watching Marie and Sibyl playing tennis, two supple flying forms in gowns whose whiteness flashed in the sunshine, the cloud came over him. He sat with fixed, unseeing eyes, knowing nothing, till he heard a clock striking the hour, and awakening as from a dull and heavy sleep, he saw that the two girls had left the tennis court 
that the net had been taken down and he was sitting alone that attack slight and harmless though it was roused mountford to immediate action finding it very difficult to resist sir joseph's hospitable urgency strengthened as it was by his own unwillingness to depart mountford made all his preparations for departure quietly one morning packed portmanteau and fishing tackle without asking help from anybody with all the handiness of a traveller accustomed to roughing it in an uncivilized country he had made up his mind irrevocably he would leave ellerslie next morning for london spend the summer among his friends in or near london and go back to africa in the autumn he meant to say nothing more about departure till he met sir joseph at breakfast on the following morning when he could take a swift and sudden leave on the pretence of a summons from a kinsman which excuse would not be very great divergence from truth since an old bachelor uncle his mother's elder brother who had made a fortune as a banker in melbourne had for some time been urgent in his invitations mountford had excused himself from accompanying urquhart to the river and had left sibyl and her inseparable companion sauntering together on the terrace outside the breakfast-room perhaps waiting for him to propose river or sea or moorland ramble whatever they might have intended brandon mountford left them to their own devices and went straight to his room where he began the prosaic task of folding his clothes and disposing them in two well-worn portmanteau which smelt of tar and sea-water and looking over and packing his supply of flies and tackle thinking with a despairing mournfulness of the river which he might never fish again never had he been so happy or so unhappy as at ellerslie he paused in his morning's work once as he crossed the room arrested by his own image in the cheval glass he stopped to survey himself deliberately from top to toe looking at himself with the smile of bitterness the smile that curls the lips with an upward curve while the eyes remain fixed and gloomy not a half bad-looking fellow he commented scornfully tall well set up a broad forehead a bold well-opened eye features fairly regular skin without a blemish and then he took a book from the pocket of his portmanteau a thin cloth-bound octavo and opened it at a page which had been read often enough for the volume to open of its own accord at that particular place this was the passage he had marked with the broad heavy stroke of a red pencil characteristics turgescence of face distortion of mouth and eyes immobility of pupil bloody froth issuing from mouth this is the usual attack or the grand mal not much room for a man to be vain of his looks who is subject to such a transformation as that he said to himself as he put the book back into its hiding place he had bought this exhaustive treatise upon his malady by a specialist after his first attack and had read and re-read the dismal details so coldly so plainly described not for the study of the sufferer but for the calmer intelligence of the healer the man of science to whom the most revolting of maladies is only an interesting study most interesting when most terrible he had read the whole history of this strange disease he had read 
of individual cases and their abnormal developments he had hung with a grisly fascination over the story of the unhappy victim who after being subject to epilepsy in its normal form from his childhood at seven-and-twenty years of age suffered a sudden change in the nature of his malady and became the victim of a murderous instinct which he resisted with the greatest difficulty wrestling with himself as the demoniacs of old wrestled fighting against the savage thirst for bloodshed which urged him to slay even his nearest and dearest the mother he loved the father he had honoured and obeyed all his life that story of horror had eaten itself like some corroding acid into brandon's brain what if over his distorted mind that same fierce thirst of blood should come suddenly like a fiery atmosphere steeping his senses suddenly like the branding heat of the tropical sun leaping out of a tempestuous sky there was no reason why he should not suffer a change as terrible as that which had made this swabian peasant's life an existence of fear and trembling horror unutterable to have won the woman he loved to have promised to care for her and cherish her to be trusted and loved by her and after a year or so of bliss to wake up one day a creature of demoniac impulses transformed from man to devil yet knowing himself man fighting against his evil genius conscious of his criminal instincts yet unable to conquer them unable to save himself from his own insane longings and seeing the wife he worshipped fall at his feet his idol and his victim yes in that homicidal fury he might murder her her the woman he loved the horror of the thought was strong upon him as he sank into a chair by the bed and buried his face in the pillows it was foolish to have opened that accursed book he told himself a book not intended for the lay mind what good could it do to him to read of extreme cases his was not an abnormal case might never become severe or exceptional although his mother's history had been of the saddest he bore no resemblance to his mother physically she had been fragile and delicate pale ethereal he was strongly built like his father tall and broad-shouldered hardy and active he had been living down the danger of inherited malady ever since those th first threatenings of evil no he would not be such a coward as to dwell upon hideous forebodings he would make that one sacrifice which honour and conscience demanded of him he would live and die a stranger to those domestic ties which form so large a portion of man's happiness but he would not poison his solitary existence by brooding over darkest possibilities he would call christian philosophy to his aid he would not look beyond the evil of to-day towards the potential misery of the coming years argue with himself as he might the opening of that book had unhinged him he left his packing half finished and went down to the drawing-room whence he had heard the sound of the piano and two fresh young voices in an italian duet which he knew well as a favourite of the two girls the gong sounded for luncheon as he entered the room and sibyl rose from the piano they all three went down together to the dining-room and took their seats at a table that was much too large for so small a party sir joseph had gone to carlisle on railway business and urquhart was spending the day on the banks of the river i thought you were with mr urquhart 
sibyl said to brandon or that you would hardly have deserted us all the morning i had some work i was obliged to do i was a martyr to duty letter writing i suppose i know what a burden that is sibyl answered lightly i could not spare one of my innumerable aunts and cousins but it weighs rather heavily upon me when they all want long gossipy letters there is not much material for gossip at ellerslie no i suppose you do find a dearth of incident sometimes brandon answered absently his eyes looking down at his plate he ate hardly anything and might be said to lunch upon a glass of claret and a biscuit and he who had been accustomed to sustain the leading part in all their conversation to-day hardly spoke a word he looked up suddenly and found sibyl's eyes fixed upon him the fair young face full of anxiety she blushed as their eyes met whatever your work was i'm afraid it was too much for you she said hurriedly you are looking very white and tired is he not looking ill marie she asked with an embarrassed air as if she wanted to cover her own too anxious regard for his welfare by making it a general question i dare say mr Malford feels the sudden change till summer heat as much as the rest of us marie arnold answered but whatever his sufferings may be he ought to be flattered at finding himself the object of such solicitude on your part sibyl gazed at her in wondering distress could this be marie marie who had loved her with more than a sister's affection marie her slave her worshipper whose sympathy had never been wanting in her life till within these last few weeks when an, an inexplicable change had been coming over her they sat in silence till the end of the meal an idle formula for all three they rose in silence and sibyl walked listlessly to an open window on her way to the garden while marie went out quickly at the door so quickly that brandon had no time to open it for her he followed sibyl to the garden overtook her on the terrace and walked by her side slowly and for the most part dumbly to the sunk lawn where the girls often played tennis we shall have no tennis this afternoon i'm afraid said sibyl obliged to talk about something since her embarrassment made silence painful marie is not in the humor for tennis she seems rather in an ungracious mood is she subject to that kind of outbreak she is a little impetuous and hot-headed at times but she never used to be out of temper with me i fancy jealousy is the at the bottom of the mystery sibyl jealousy sibyl echoed the word with lips that trembled faintly as she looked at him yes miss arnold has one of those unhappy tempers in which affection takes its most exacting form she loves you intensely and she is jealous of the slightest kindness you show to anyone else she sees that you are inclined to be my friend to accept me as a kinsman almost as a brother almost as a brother sibyl echoed in a whisper so faint as to escape brandon's ear she saw your kind concern about my haggard looks and she was angry that you should be anxious about anybody but herself you must care only for her she loves you with all her heart and mind as we are told we must love god and she wants all your heart and mind in return she's always been warm-hearted and affectionate but 
I had no idea she could be jealous. She was never so disagreeable as she was to-day. No. It was hard that she should grudge me your kindly feeling to-day of all days, for it is my last at Ellerslie. He could not keep his eyes from her face as he made the announcement. He had meant to tell her nothing of his intention till the next day, and then to take a hurried farewell, to give no time for the betrayal of strong feeling on either side. But seeing her tender concern for his health, so innocently indicated in her womanly speech at luncheon, his resolution had faltered, and he had abandoned the idea of getting over all the difficulties by a brutal suddenness. No, he thought it was better to tell her quietly, and, if need were, to explain his motives. He could not let her think that she was nothing to him, and that her love had been wasted on a stock or stone. Her face whitened, and after walking at his side in silence for a few minutes, she sank helplessly upon the first garden seat to which they came, sank down without a word, and sat pale and dumb. The work which tired me this morning was the work of packing my portmanteau, Brandon pursued. I travel without a servant, and— like looking after my own belongings. I have had a glorious time at Ellerslie, and I can never be grateful enough for your kindness, which has made the place as dear and as homelike as if I had been born here, or for Sir Joseph's generous hospitality to a man who had no claim upon him. But you did have a claim on him, in his mind a very strong claim. You are my mother's kinsman, and he loves all whom she loved, or who belong to her by race or kindred. He is the most generous man I know. There are men in his position who might dislike me because I am the son of the man whose despairing, unspoken love was given to Lucy Mountfort. You know my father's story, I dare say, Sybil. I know that he loved my mother, before she and my mother ever met, with a love that could never be told, for he learnt to love her unawares, and too late. My father told me the story a year ago, when he gave me some of my mother's jewels. It pleased him to talk to me about her and her trustfulness in him. Yes, he loved her too late. That is the story, a common story in Mayfair. My poor father's fate was a sad one, and he left a gloomy heritage to me. I don't understand. What do you mean that he left you poorly provided for? Faltered Sybil poorly provided for. Sybil, do you think that I am the kind of man to whine because I have to bear the burden of narrow means? I can cry with Othello, steep me in poverty to the very lips. I can laugh at poverty, could fight the battle of life with the best of the rich men I know. The inheritance which darkens my life is a heavier cross than the pinch of poverty." My heritage is a malady which sets me apart from my fellow men, and which has determined me to go down to my grave without wife or home, a wanderer on the face of the earth. Sybil listened silently, but her tightly clasped hands and tears which trembled on her eyelids were enough to indicate her feelings. She had only one idea of hereditary malady, and that was consumption. She had heard of those who were doomed in their cradles to early death, of lovely girls fading in the dawn of youth, of young men drooping and withering when 
life seemed fairest victims of a fate which those who knew their family history had foretold from the beginning of the life journey faintly timidly she murmured words of hopefulness you look so strong and you have led such an active life brandon surely even if your father was consumptive there is no reason that you should inherit consumptive exclaimed brandon catching at the word yes it was better for him that she should believe the hereditary taint to be that only phthisis a disease which has always an interesting aspect to the lay mind the gradual decay the fatal beauty of hectic colouring and lustrous eyes far better that she should think him the foredoomed victim to consumption than that he should be forced to explain the horrible truth to trouble her imagination with hideous images i have accepted my fate sibyl he went on it is only within the last few weeks that i have felt the cruelty of my destiny but i should be something less than a man if i were to ask the girl i love to share my burden if she really loved you she would wish to share it to be your nurse and comforter should your fears ever be realized or to help you to forget that you have any cause for fear until perhaps you and she would be able to look back in time to come and smile at your past fears no no sibyl that is an alluring picture great god what a world of happiness you spread before me with a few little words no sibyl such happiness is not for me i have to carve out a sterner path for myself to be content with a life of adventure to find my companions and pleasures and scenes so shifting and varied that the tasks and dangers of my daily existence will crowd out regretful memories and leave no time for brooding upon that which might have been i have made up my mind i shall never marry i have no doubt it will be easy for you to adhere to that resolution sibyl said with assumed lightness wounded to the quick by a speech to which her own mind implied a rejection of her sympathy you are fond of a life of adventure and if you do not care for anybody and are not likely to care if i do not care oh sibyl you know as well as i do you must surely know how much i care how entirely my life has slipped out of my own keeping and has become dependent for all its sunshine upon another life why should we fence with facts and make elaborate speeches to each other as if we were strangers as if it were not in our blood to care for each other you the child of the woman my father adored and who gave him her love not knowing that he was fettered and bound i had made up my mind to leave this place with my story untold to carry my secret if it should be a secret away with me into the wilderness to bury it there in the explorer's shifting camp all my plans were made for a sudden departure to-morrow morning without a word of love or sorrow but one little look of yours just now at luncheon was enough to break down every determination i resolved that you should at least know how dearly you are loved and how fate has foredoomed your lover i am glad miss arnold has given me the chance of saying all this to your ear only but even as she but even had she been as watchful as you as she usually is i must have spoken even her presence could not have silenced me if you really mean what you have said if it is not mere idle flattery perhaps 
meant only to spare me the humiliation of having seemed to care too much for you sibyl i have not spoken half the truth i can't help believing you she said naively i hardly think you would be so cruel as to deceive me yes brandon i do believe that you love me as truly and faithfully as i love you and i want you to understand that even at the worst if you were destined to suffer long years of ill health to die while you are still young in spite of all that love and care can do to save you even if it were so she went on her voice broken by sobs i have no higher hope than to be your wife your nurse and your consoler to lighten all the burdens of life for you to crowd into those short years of yours all the happiness that this beautiful earth can give in its fairest places under the brightest skies let me be your wife brandon i know that you are poor and that my father has other views ambitious ideas which he will forget for my sake he has only to know how much i care for you and he will consent to anything i ask stop for god's sake stop cried brandon starting to his feet snatching away the hand upon which she had laid her own with a tremulously fluttering touch you don't know what you are talking about hereditary phthisis is bad enough a martyrdom for a patient and nurse a melancholy pilgrimage toward an untimely grave along a path beset with stones that wound and thorns that tear not by any means the poetical fading from life which poets have taught you to believe but thisis is a kind of kindly disease compared to the doom that hangs over me my lot is the torment that you have read of in the gospel i am the man possessed of devils and there is no divine healer upon earth now to exorcise satan's crew the devils have it all their own way science has only found palliative measures she has found no more for the epileptic he must bear his burden as my malady has not shown itself at its worst but the worst will come no doubt in due time i too shall be an interesting case my paroxysms will be worthy of record in textbooks god knows what form those latter phases may assume it might be murder brandon how can you say such things it could never be you are giving yourself up to groundless fears i am not afraid not afraid even of devils ah sibyl i know i know with good women love means a vocation for martyrdom but i am not the man to accept such a sacrifice my dear love my dear dear love you have given me a memory to cherish and take comfort from through all these days of my life you have made me ineffably happy but my happiness must go hand in hand with renunciation i must never more be your friend and companion till the years have made us grave elderly people and i can be the homely unobtrusive ami de la maison a godfather a souffre douleur for your children let me kiss you just once the kiss of a long farewell and then i shall be able to say she has loved me i have lived the words came in a torrent the man looked radiant exalted by the passion of self-sacrifice 
Sibyl had risen from the bench, and was standing looking at him pleadingly, with parted lips that seemed to be struggling for words in which to oppose his decision. He caught her suddenly in his arms, and silenced those tremulous lips with a kiss. Once, and once only, he said, that kiss has to last me for life. He released her from his arms, and looking up he saw Marie Arnold, standing a few paces behind Sybil, as if she had suddenly stopped in her approach to them. The look in her face chilled him, checked the rushing tide of passion. What a terrible face it was, pale to ghastliness with vivid lips. If this is what jealousy made of the girl, he remembered in the bright friendliness of their earlier acquaintance, jealousy must be indeed a fiendish passion. Her expression changed as he looked at her, but quickly, as she controlled her countenance, he could see the effort it cost her to quiet those writhing lips. To quiet those writhing lips and summon up a pale, cold smile. I have been looking for you everywhere, Sibyl, she said. I wanted to know your plans for the afternoon. I have no plans. I think you might allow me an afternoon to myself without roaming about in search of me like an unquiet spirit. An afternoon to yourself, eh, Mr. Mountford, I suppose you mean. Precisely. Mr. Mountford and I have a good deal to talk about on his last day at Ellerslie. His last day. The words came in a gasp, and Marie's large, dark eyes turned to Mountford with a look of undisguised despair. Is that true? she asked. Are you really going away tomorrow? Yes, Miss Arnold. Even the most delightful visit must end. My visit to Ellerslie has been unconscionably long. But Sir Joseph doesn't know that you are going. I heard him begging you to stay till the end of the month, only yesterday. Sir Joseph is the soul of hospitality. He will know all about my plans tomorrow morning. He will be surprised, I think, when he knows all answered Marie with an open sneer. Sibyl was walking toward the house. Marie followed her, leaving Mountford alone on the tennis lawn, looking idly along an opening in the shrubbery toward a sunlit patch of sea which glittered like a jewel far away at the end of the glade. He walked and mused for nearly an hour, he did not want to be alone with Sibyl, now that the last word had been spoken, still less that he wished to be her in her company under the hawk-like gaze of Marie Arnold, whose manner this afternoon had disquieted him beyond measure. There had been a passionate intensity which betrayed something more than jealousy of an adopted sister. Lightly as he esteemed his own powers of pleasing, he could hardly doubt after today that it was for him that this strange young woman cared. Contiguity, her secluded life, which had brought her so seldom into the society of a man of her own age, had made her even more impressionable than the common herd of girls, he told himself, and while all his thoughts had been absorbed by Sibyl, the elder girl had been nursing her foolish fancies, wasting her feelings upon one of those sentimental attachments which make the misery of the emotional temperament. She will fall in love with the next decent-looking young man who comes to Ellerslie, he thought contemptuously. 
setting the slightest value upon a regard which no look or word of his had ever courted he thought of marie only as a foolish and impulsive young person whose persistent presence had bored him in his too brief hours of happiness whose ill-humour of to-day had distressed sibyl he returned to the house after an hour's idle strolling finished his packing and then finding it was only six o'clock went back to the grounds intending to walk to the river and perhaps return with hubert urquhart who had been studiously civil to him and whom he had of late avoided with a persistence that might look like incivility he knew that hubert admired marie and it seemed to him that the best thing that could happen for sibyl if not the happiest thing for the girl herself would be marie's marriage with urquhart a young woman with such a temper as this young woman had exhibited to-day would be a danger to sibyl's peace so long as she remained an inmate of sir joseph's house and uncontrolled by the strong hand of a husband the best thing for such a girl would be to marry and to find her master as she would inevitably do in hubert urquhart on this last day brandon had surreptitiously avoided the afternoon tea hour in the drawing-room or on the terrace an hour which he had hitherto enjoyed as almost the pleasantest in the tranquil gladness of his days at ellerslie after those passionate words and that farewell kiss he shrank from meeting sibyl till the family dinner should bring them together when sir joseph and urquhart and possibly the curate who often dined with them would make sentiment impossible in the family circle he and his dear love could meet and talk and bid each other good night with the calm reserve of friends who were nothing more than friends a long bank of clouds piled up against the western sky had hidden the sun when brandon went back to the shrubbery and there was a suggestion of rain in the atmosphere urquhart and the gardeners had been sighing for rain and now it seemed they were likely to have their desire the air was colder with the approach of evening and brandon felt the chilling change as he entered the little fir wood that sheltered ellerslie from the northwestern gales under the dark foliage of the firs the grey evening had already gathered although the sunset was still far off brandon was glad to find himself in that faded light glad of the solitude glad even of the gloom which hung about the long narrow alleys cut through the monotony of the tall brown shafts heavier shadows crept over the irregular masses of undergrowth rhododendron berry and laurel which made a darkness below in harmony with the darkness above a terrible depression of spirits had followed upon brandon's exaltation of a few hours before in those brief moments by the tennis lawn when sibyl was clasped in his arms and their lips met in the farewell kiss he had fancied that the mere knowledge of having loved her and being loved again by her who was for him the most perfect among women would suffice for the consolation of his after-life that he could not be utterly unhappy having been so beloved but now his spirits had sunk into a gloom deeper than the sadness of the morning when a single page of that fatal book had reminded him of his miserable inheritance a despondency more painful than he had ever known had taken possession of him within the last few hours a despair that weighed upon him like an actual burden as if a leaden hand the gigantic hand of some monstrous being were pressing down upon his brain 
it was even worse than despair it was abject fear fear of he knew not what a vague inexplicable dread which chilled his blood and slackened every nerve he longed to be once more within the touch of his fellow-man he tried to quicken his pace hoping to meet urquhart returning from the river it was along this woodland path that the fishermen generally returned yes urquhart would come this way soon perhaps or it might be that it was too early for him brandon tried to remember the hour but could not was it late or early early afternoon or evening or was this grey dimness the mysterious grey of dawn before the sun is above the horizon it was not an hour since he had paused in the hall to compare his watch with the eight-day clock supposed to be an infallible timekeeper and yet he did not remember if it were evening or morning even the memory of his impassioned scene with sibyl had grown shadowy was it a, only a dream after all he had dreamt that she had been kind that she had confessed her regard for him had offered to share the burden of his days yes it must have been a dream his whole existence seemed strange and dreamlike he had no assurance of anything but the straight brown shafts like the pillars of a rude indian temple which rose up on every side of him and even those looked dim and blurred as he gazed at them with eyes which slowly fixed themselves and from which the faculty sight slowly faded the leaden hand pressed harder and heavier upon his brain he felt the dull beating the agonizing pain under that inexorable pressure he staggered a few paces further blindly helplessly struck his shoulder against a tree on the right hand reeled to the left and grazed his hand against a tree on the other side of the path then fell like a log head foremost into a tangle of arbutus and rhododendron fern and briar brandon mountford's next knowledge of his own existence was a sharp gnawing pain in his right shoulder a pain that made him aware that he was lying in a cramped position the greater heart part of his weight bearing upon the right arm and shoulder he was aware too of a chilling rain falling steadily through the darkness a rain that must have been falling for some time for the rhododendron bushes through which he thrust his hand in his struggle to raise himself were dripping it was pitch dark under the fir trees not a star to be seen in the heavy blackness of the sky to which he looked up wonderingly again puzzled as to the lapse of time was it the darkness of evening or of midnight he wondered he got up on his feet with an effort and struggled and stumbled a few paces forward catching at the trees as he went stumbled on a little way weak in limb confused in brain and then stumbled against something lying in the fern at his feet stumbled and fell on one knee his extended hand clutching at the obstacle as he fell his hand touched another hand his fingers closed automatically on the soft fabric of a woman's gown the silky softness of fine cashmere such as he had seen sibyl and her companion wear for tennis and boating the material which both girls wore oftener than any other dim and clouded 
as his brain was after the long interval of unconsciousness he knew the touch of that soft fabric how often he had thrilled at the brief contact as he drew the folds of sibyl's skirt away from the gunwale when she was seating herself in the boat yes even in that troubled half-consciousness his sense of touch recognized something associated with the girl he loved sibyl sibyl he called with a hoarse half-stifled cry he had no thought of any other than sibyl his clouded memory hardly recalled the existence of that elder girl who had been sibyl's shadow in the darkness under the cold night wind that was meaning and moaning in the fir trees under the rhythmical dropping of the rain pattering on rhododendron and laurel noiseless on bramble and fern he knelt beside that prostrate figure and he clutched that cold and stiffening hand there was just light enough for him to see the white gown the white face staring upward oh god was she dead he bent closer and closer peering through the darkness and suddenly a cry broke from his lips a cry that was not all agony surely that was dark hair that framed the whiteness of the face not sibyl's soft fair hair or was it only the darkness of night that made the hair seem black was she dead he tried to raise the lifeless form upon one strong arm while he felt with the other for the beating of the heart she had fainted perhaps and that icy rigidity of the fingers he had clasped was only a sign of a swoon oh god this was verily death no heart throb beat below his trembling hand there was nothing but the fluttering of his own quickened pulse as he waited and listened with his ear low down against the girl's breast not sibyl he kept muttering to himself is it marie poor marie but why how he started from his knees with a shriek of horror the hand that had been lying on her breast was wet and dabbed with blood he knew the touch of that for the hunter and the dweller in the wilderness there could be no uncertainty as to that thick and viscous fluid which covered his clammy fingers and trickled about his wrist End of chapter nine